1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. We're going to start by um, reading our passage for today, and then we will get right into it. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come and while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother uh, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when, he, when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord God give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I, have, for I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come to you and we are just thankful for this day that you have given. It is you and your word that is good. It is profitable for us for teaching, correction, reproof, for training in righteousness so that we may be equipped um, and, and complete for every good work that you have called us to. God, as a um, one who is called to preach your word, it is a, a humbling task to think of the frailty that I bring to the table uh, in presenting your beautiful, majestic word. May your words ring true. Uh, may I get out of the way and you speak to your people. As you have prepared me for this time throughout this week, I pray that uh, your word does its work, continues to do its work within me, does its work within your people, uh, that if there be anyone here today that does not know you personally, that they are able to cry out, as Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, that God is in this place and that they are saved uh, by you and your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, for us who have come to know you personally, that you have saved from this darkness that we were once in and, and moved us into your marvelous light, we ask, Lord, that you continue to sanctify us, wash us in your word, uh, bring to, to light any sin issues that are needing to be addressed, uh, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, and do the work that you have told us that you will do uh, through it. So we just pray and ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, that, is, that is our passage for today. Um, something I wanted to mention is, as we see many times through the Old Testament, there are particular methods in which the authors of these letters or books in the Old Testament use to get their point across. And, and there's one method that we see today that we've seen already in our letter, uh, excuse me, the book of 1 Samuel uh, that I kind of want to mention. So one way that we see throughout the Old Testament when God is speaking to his people, he's revealing who he is, uh, he uses descriptions that describe how he is not like us, right? We are told that he is infinite, where we are finite, right? We have limits, God does not. Uh, he is unchangeable, we are changeable. He is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. We are in one particular place. 
That's one way that we see throughout the Old Testament the way that God reveals truth to us. Uh, another way that he uses that we see in, in 1 Samuel uh, is by taking polar opposites and kind of contrasting them against each other. And that's something that we see uh, today. I, I think we're all familiar with the concept of comparing and contrast. I think a lot of times we did that in school. Uh, you take two things, how are they similar, how are they different, how do they contrast against each other? Uh, this was already seen in chapter one with uh, Elkan Elkanah's wives. We had Penina and Hannah. Penina was um, just treating Hannah in this very wicked way. He was, she was uh, provoking her harshly and, and talking about her infertility and kind of boasting in who she was. But Hannah remained faithful and trusted in God and continued to pray and, and trusted in God through that whole process. So we see this wickedness and self-righteousness, if you will, and then righteous attitude in spite of this, this poor behavior. And one of the things that, that we see through that, as we see in God's word, is that a lot of times this darkness is when bright, or excuse me, when light shines the brightest, right? Taking these two contrasting things and seeing the darkness of man and the goodness of God uh, through it. So that's something we're going to see in, in today's passage. As we read it, you may have already kind of seen that, but the sons of Eli were these wicked men, right? The scriptures call them worthless, worthless men. Uh, we're going to see how they were um, ministers in the house of God in contrast to how Samuel was a minister in the house of God. And we'll kind of see faithful service from Elkanah, Elkanah excuse me, Hannah and uh, Samuel versus these worthless men. And so these are going to kind of be some of the things that we look at. Now, um, with that, we, we have our big theme, the big idea of us going through First uh, and Second Samuel, which is the eternal king of glory. So as we look at these, these things, how are we going to relate this to who God is, right? When we think about contrasting uh, these two types of people, well, one thing that we see consistently that pastors preached already through this that I hope to get across to us today is that in spite of these things, in spite of these circumstances, God is with us, right? God is Emmanuel. He is always with us. He is with his people. If he is for us, who can be against us? As the psalmist tells us in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And because of this faithfulness that God shows us, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's our quick little intro into this. We got a, a lot of ground to cover in these, um, what, are this, what is this, let me see, 15 verses, 16, 15 verses that we're covering. There's a lot of ground to cover, so we're not going to uh, waste any more time, but that's kind of where we are. So let's first look at verses 12 through 17, or we're going to look at these first six verses. And I want to reread them with that understanding in mind that as the author is laying out this, this narrative, there is this contrast between the wicked and the, um, the faithful. So let me reread these verses for us. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifices, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This was what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast. For he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it to me now, or excuse me, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, I want to set this, paint this picture for us really quickly of where we are right now, right? The Eli, who is the, son, the father of these men, is a Levite, right? He is a priest serving in the tabernacle or what is known as a tent of meeting. And he's a prophet in Israel, right? He's speaking to the people on behalf of God. This is his role. Uh, they are based in Shiloh, which is about 20, this was a city about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And this is the current place where God would meet with his people. This was where they'd set up the tent, the courtyard, and all of that. This is where all the sacrifices were, 
were uh, performed. Uh, the Mosaic Law, this was already in full effect. This regulated the way God was to be worshipped, uh, the way you ceremonially cleanse yourself, uh, the way these sacrifices were, were offered. All of this stuff was already in, in full effect, had been in effect for a couple hundred years now. Uh, if we were to back up to Leviticus 10, a couple books before where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel, that's where we actually see Nadab and Abihu who had uh, disregarded the, the laws that God had set forth in offering this strange fire before him and they were struck dead. So this is something that was already done, right? We see um, these laws were put in place and we've seen people break God's reg regulations for worship and they were struck dead for it. But here, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, which are the names of the sons of, of, um, of Eli, these worthless men, they are treating the offerings of the Lord with contempt. Now, as I was thinking about that, and, you know, there's this, in Leviticus 10, we see men struck dead for their sins against God. And then we see Hophni and Phinehas sinning against God openly in this tense of meeting. There was some, almost seemed like God was not doing the same thing that he did to, to, um, to Nadab and Abihu, right? Why is he allowing these sins to occur? But I kind of think about us and how we treat sins, right? I'm sure there was this point in time for the Israelites right after Nadab and Abihu where senses were heightened, right? Where the sin was committed and they were just like on point with everything they were doing. They, they did not want to disrespect God in any way. They wanted to revere him well. And, and slowly over time, as things always do, they began to be lax, be compromising with their things that they did. And then sin was just running rampant. And I think that's something that like I said, it's common for us today. You can think about a time whenever you either first got saved or you fell into some grievous sin and, and right away you were on fire. You were, you know, firing on all cylinders, right? You were sharing the gospel. You were fleeing from sin. You were, you were doing everything you were supposed to. But then slowly but surely, a lot of times what ends up happening, that, that consequence of that sin that was committed, slowly that sting of that sin slowly goes away and then we end up kind of living life however we want. Now that's what kind of comes to mind when I think about Hophni and Phinehas um, as, as these men were just desecrating the tabernacle of God, this, this meeting place between God and men. These people would travel to this place in order to meet with God. They knew this is where God would meet with his people. They knew he was omnipresent, but there was something special about this place. And these people who were supposed to be standing watch over this, over this tabernacle, over this tent of meeting, were just ravenous wolves, and, and it, was a, it was a terrible thing that they were doing. Now, as, as far as like where they were and how they were acting, you know, I was thinking about this as well, as I've already mentioned, usually we don't go from zero to 60 in the sins we're committing. There, there's usually a, parent, a point in time where we begin to compromise small sins, right? Things that we consider small sins until they finally totally consume us and then we're just going full bore into destructive behavior. And this, this kind of reminds me of what's going on here with this understanding that unchecked sin always leads to destruction. It doesn't matter what you're going through in life. I think we can all agree as Christians, we've seen what a selfish lifestyle leads us to. It, it always leads to destruction. James 1.13 through 15, I think, is a good example of this. Because a lot of times as we're going through these things, we may want to blame God or, or blame our circumstances of things that we're going through as to why we end up in the sins we're committing. But I think it's fairly clear from this passage what is the root cause of all these sins. It says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by circumstances? No, by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Right? I think a lot, as I think about that and, and my own life and just the, the tragedies you see from celebrities, right? When, when people get famous and they just destroy their own lives, a lot of people say, man, that money changed them. Right. It was that the, the fame, the fortune it went to their head and they just became these totally different people. You know, you're not the person that I once knew. There's a lot of these kind of thoughts that go around. But I don't I don't believe it's money, fame, drugs, you know, power. I don't think any of these these things actually change people. 
these are just avenues that allow us as people to do the things that we want to do. And I think that's evident by what we read in James, right? Whenever we are lured and enticed by our own desires, if we're given the opportunity to give into those things, if we don't cut those things off, we go full bore into them and then we end up in, in a place that we never saw ourselves going in the first place. Now, these sons of Eli were, were wicked men, right? They, they were, we can look at what's going on in this passage and say these are vile individuals. How could, how could they be allowed to stay here? Why is God allowing this? Uh, and, and just view them in this terrible light, which they are, right? They're, they're in this terrible light. But as I already said, these men were wicked before they even got the title of priest, right? They, 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 the title of priest didn't change them into something they weren't before, Right. Them being granted this power, this authority to lord over people and to abuse it was already was already a desire within them. As we preach to Ephesians, we read in, in chapter two that by nature we are children of wrath. What that means is that we're sinners at birth. Right. Or at conception. Excuse me. Uh, we're not we're not innocent in the sense of having a sin nature. That that's where we are. We desire selfish things. We have uh, desires within us that do not seek to honor God. And, that, and that's who we are. And so as we think about that and think about these men being these worthless men, what exactly made these men and their actions so heinous, right? What made them be thought of as these heinous men? Was it the fact that they were uh, stealing from people, that they were sleeping with these women or whatever else they could be doing? Are those the things that made them worthless men? I think the answer to that is no. I don't think it's those things that made them wicked men. I think those were fruit of a rotten heart within them. Uh, as we're told in this passage, the answer is, I think the answer is found for us in verse 12. Right? They did not know the Lord. Right? They, they didn't know him. They were not known by him. There was no change that had gone on within their hearts. They had no devotion, no, no desire to serve God with their lives. That's what made them worthless men. I like the way the NIV describes them. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all read the NIV, but they're called scoundrels, right? This word here is worthless men, but uh, the NIV calls them scoundrels. The uh, King James actually calls them sons of Belial. So if you're reading that version, you may see the difference in that. Sons of Belial, the word Belial just basically means devil or, you know, that type of thing. So all of these things are getting, are getting across the same point. But I think it's pretty obvious by the way these men were acting, right? We see the fruit. We are known by our fruit. It was evident that they didn't know the Lord. And what we read in 17, I think, is proof of that. It says, thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, this word contempt, we hear it if you ever watch like Law and Order or different shows like that that are in a trial or a court setting. Uh, people get arrested for contempt, right? They're causing a ruckus within court and then they get arrested for that. But it, it has similar meaning like that. This word contempt here means to treat with disregard, to regard as, as worthless or rubbish, to treat like, like it's foolishness or to have no reverence for it. And that's what, that's what these men were doing with the offerings that were supposed to be presented as holy before the Lord. Now, what was uh, the contempt shown for God's offering, right? What, what were they actually doing that was bringing about this contempt? Well, the Mosaic law, if we go back to Leviticus, this is where a lot of these priestly duties are laid out. The fat, was the, the fat portions were, were to be offered to God, right? The, the choice meats, the, like when you think about eating a steak, right? You want it, you want it uh, fatty, right? You like that fat to, I see some heads shaking, right? Like that's, that's the good stuff. And, and this is what's supposed to be offered into the Lord. And once that fat is burned up, then the meat was, was there for the, the taking at that point. But what these men were doing, they weren't waiting for the fat to be burned up, for this offering to be presented to the Lord. They, they wanted the meat raw. They wanted before God had, had a chance or for it to be offered on behalf of God. These men were pleading with them, right? They were like, hey, just you can have whatever you want. Just let me offer this first, right? I want to offer this to God. This is my worship to God. And they were like, no, either you give this to us now or we take it, right? That's, that's, what's, being, uh, that's what's going on right in here. And when it says take it by force, uh, this obviously, right, if we think about force, there's a, a violent uh, physical um, action that's being taken place here. This is what this is referring to. So there was... They were getting strong-armed, right? They were being, um, 
They were being bullied, right? These are supposed to be the servants of God's people, right? That, that's what the Levites were. They were supposed to be servants to the God's people, and here they are serving their own desires and treating these people like they were worthless. But I kind of think about that, right, as I think about how wicked and vile these people are acting, and we see it today in, in our churches today where people are just fleecing the flocks. They're just taking people's money, claiming if you do this, sow these seeds or whatever, that God's going to bless you, and People are giving their last dime away in order to try to gain some kind of favor with God. And these people are taking this money to the bank, living lavish lifestyles. So nothing has changed even to this day. But when we see these things, right, we see this going on in our passage. We see it happening today. It, it should bring about a righteous indignation within us, right? We should be frustrated and angry with the fact that God's people are being abused. They're being taken advantage of. They're being treated like they're things and not bearing the image of God, that they're not God's people. But if we think about that, I think we should realize this was a tent of meeting. This was a tabernacle. Eventually, this would be the temple that was built in Jerusalem. This was the meeting place between God and his, and his people. But today, we are that temple, right? We are the dwelling place of God. And so what are we doing with the things that we are supposed to offer up? Scripture is clear to tell us that we are to present ourselves, right, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, and acceptable in faith to God. That is our spiritual worship. So when we disobey the commands of God, right, whenever we sin in whatever way you sin, we're like these worthless men treating the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, that's, that's what we see with these worthless men. That's kind of where we see where they are. They are just abusing the role that God has called them to, uh, they're worthless because they are wicked, vile. They are sons of their father, the devil, as Jesus would say in the New Testament. But this is, this is what we are, this is the first part of the picture we're painting, right? This is the dark side. Uh, and in light of that, we're going to contrast that with faithful service. We're going to see what Samuel, Elkanah, and Hannah, what they have done with their time, with their service unto the Lord. So let's reread verses 18 through 21, and we're going to look at, at them there. It says this, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, if we see what was done by these worthless sons of Eli versus what's being done by uh, Elkanah and Hannah, and then even Samuel in there, it's a pretty stark contrast in, in attitude and in posture and the desires of their hearts, right? We see wicked selfishness, and then we see selfless sacrifice and service unto the Lord. Now, what we see from Hannah and what Pastor preached on a couple weeks ago, we, we see that Hannah was not trying to barter with God, right? She just faithfully and, and persistently prayed for the things that she was desiring. She was hoping, you know, she, her desire was to be a mother, to, to father or to, to mother children, um, to, to see God's favor within her life. Uh, but there was never a desire to try to take it into her own hands, right? She continued to persistently and faithfully pray, and then she was blessed with Samuel. And not only with Samuel, she continued this faithful prayer and sacrifice and offerings to God, along with her husband year in and year out, and God blessed her with five more children. So she went from zero to six children, right? This, which is a, a beautiful thing to see that God has done for her. But I think the thing to remember with that, right, we don't want to take this and say, okay, well, if I do these things, God is going to respond in these ways because she wasn't sowing seeds of faith, right? I'm sure most of y'all have heard those phrases. She wasn't sowing seeds of faith in order to try to see something come of it. Uh, she wasn't serving with expectations. That wasn't something that she was doing either. She loved God and she showed him through her selfless service out of adoration and gratitude for the things that he had already done for her. And I think that is something that gets lost, right? We, we, we go from, from having, and, I, and, I, and we do this, right? God does something amazing in our lives, and we are grateful. Like, to the core of us, we are grateful. We are 
thankful for. We want to share this good news of Christ with, with the world. And, and we are on cloud nine, right? You get delivered from something. You, uh, God answers a prayer in a, in a, like a miraculous way. Um, whatever the case may be, he pulls you out of a, a deep, dark sin and restores a marriage or uh, brings one of your children to salvation. Whatever the case may be, there's like all these wonderful things that God has done for us as, as individuals. And, and we're just on cloud nine for a while, right? We're reading our Bible, we're praying, we're praying for people, we're attending church faithfully, we're giving, we're doing all the things we should be, right? We're doing all these things and we're doing them out of gratitude. We, we, we truly are grateful for what God has done because, I mean, everything is just perfect. Everything is going great. There's no heartache. In spite of all of it, we're just, we're just full steam ahead. But then slowly but surely, right, those blessings stop coming Right. We don't have these big pops that are that are going on in our lives where just everything is falling into place. We slowly get a little more entitled to well, why is he not doing these? I'm doing the same stuff I was doing before. Why are these blessings not coming in like they were before? Right. We start getting entitled like God owes us something. And then we're, we're right there. Right. We're right there, aggravated and frustrated with what God is doing. Right. We're wanting things in our timing. Versus in God's timing. Now, I say that because today, I mean, we'll just use today, right? We live busy lives. All of us do. I think, we, I think all of us can agree we live busy lives and we want what we want and we want it now, right? There's commercials about that, right? If people have settlements and J.G. Wentworth and it's like, you know, I want my money and I want it now, right? That's, that's the mindset. We want what we want and we want it now. We go get fast food. We don't want to cook. We don't want to slow cook it. We want it now, right? We want, we want it ready for us when we want it. That's, that's the mindset for us. And I think we have to get, we have to, we have to get that out of our minds because that's not the way God works, right? He was patient with us in the midst of our sins, right? We've got to be patient with God's perfect timing. And, I, and we, don't, we don't know with Hannah's life, right? We're reading, and you can read through chapter one and chapter two in five minutes, and, and you've already went through multiple years of Hannah's life, right? I, I think we lose sight of that. We read it and we're like, oh, she went from this and immediately went to that. And, and God blessed her, and so he's going to do the same for me. You know, I, I, right away, I'm like, come on, God, you know, let, let's, let's, let's get this ball rolling because I want to start serving you and doing more for you and all this and that. We don't know the time frame that Hannah dealt with infertility. And then even after she, she received Samuel, right, she offered him to God after, after she weaned him, is what we're told. But we're, she, was, she wasn't promised until Eli spoke to her any more children. So we could speculate and say she had Hannah and maybe in her early 20s, five, six years, 10 years. We don't know. We don't know how long there was, but there was a gap at least a year, at the very least, there was a year from the time she dropped him off until she went back to offer the next year's sacrifice. There was at least a year between that, uh, between her being promised these other children. So I think that's something that we need to really think about. You know, how often do we get promised something a year in advance and we're just totally thankful for that, right? We, we, want, we want to know this month, this week, Tomorrow, like that's the way we want our promises from God. But like I said, we don't know what this time, what time frame was for Hannah, but it's really easy to see in hindsight the faithfulness of God, right? It's really easy to see it that way. And I'm not saying this to, to make it sound like Hannah was some super Christian that, you know, never faltered in her faith. She was just this wonderful woman. She was human. She had flaws like the rest of us. Uh, but something that we can glean from her was the fact that Scripture is clear to regard her as a woman of contentment. And that's something that is to be cherished and, and honored, right? Like the, the contentment is huge. I think that's for all of us. Over and over again, we see it in Scripture uh, about us trusting in God, leaning not on our own understanding, uh, you know, rejoicing in all circumstances, counting it all joy, right? This is a... A, a something that, that is repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. Why? Because we are not content. We are not joyful. We are not uh, happy with the things that God has done for us in the timing that he does them. We want them on our time frame. We want them the way that we want them. We want things to work out the way we have figured it out in our heads. But that's not the way God works. 
Um, but at the same time, we can't deny with Hannah here the fact that God gave her the desires of her heart. Right. The, the, she she wanted to be a mother. Right. She not only gave away her firstborn, but then she was blessed with five more kids. We can't deny the fact that this happened. And so something that we can also glean from this, as we see of true in all of Scripture, is that, yeah, he gave her those desires. Those were godly desires that he placed within her heart. He cultivated those things. He brought about contentment in her life. And as she served God year after year, God saw fit to bless her with these other children. And I think that's something to rejoice in, right? The, the fact that God has given her these things, given her these desires, she waited for them and then waited even longer to receive them fully. Now, something I believe this does for us, it shows God's active role, not only in our, in our obedience, but also in our sanctification. I think this is clear for us with Hannah. And then we see this elsewhere in Scripture. I think and I think that's something that we don't we don't personally put enough stock in the fact that God is always at work within his people. Right. If, if the title of our sermon is God is with us, that means he's with us. He never forsakes us. He doesn't leave us where we are. He's always working in, in the details. Right. He is imminent. He is right here with us. And so we need to think about that more. Philippians 2, uh, 12 and 13, I think, has the perfect description of this. A lot of us are familiar with the phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? We, we know that. A lot of us uh, know that. That was something that was probably beat into a lot of our heads as we were kids or maybe back in the day. I know that was something that was, um, I think, prevalent. I don't know if it was like a 90s thing or what, but that was something, that part of that verse, for whatever reason, always stood out to me uh, growing up. But if we take that chunk of, of verse right there and see it within its context, I think it makes a lot more sense and it, get, it brings God more glory instead of heaping on us a burden that we're not intending to bear. So listen to this. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, right, there's obedience there. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And there's a comma. Right. We move on to verse 13. The thought is still going on for it is God who works in you both to will to have the desire for it and to work to have the energy for it for his good pleasure, both to will and to work for his good pleasure comes from God. Right. So we're not praising Hannah, per se, for what she did. Right. We're not praising individuals for things that they've done. God has remained faithful to his people throughout all the time. And we get plenty of examples of that. We get plenty of testimonies of not only faithful service, but God's faithfulness to his people. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Right? He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I'm not only able to say that because of where I've pulled from these other passages, but I'm able to say that because of what we see in our passage today. In verse 21, it says, And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, a literal rending, rendering of this, this phrase at the end of the sentence, or a literal rending, rendering of this phrase would be, and the boy grew with Yahweh. That's, that's what this is telling us. Not just when we think of presence of the Lord, there's kind of like this, a lot of times, a hyper-spirituality with that. But what we're being told is with, he was with God. God was with him as he grew. And not only that, in verse 25, it says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. The good shepherd leads his sheep. Amen. That's what God does for us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because he is faithful, as our song said, great is thy faithfulness, right? His faithfulness is never ending. It's unceasing. It is consistent. But this isn't the case for everyone, right? This is for God's people. This is a gift that God has given specifically to his people, to those known by him and loved by him. Goodness and mercy follow us, right? God's goodness and then in spite of our sinfulness, his mercy. These things follow us all the days of our lives. And what Philippians tells us also in chapter one is that we can be confident in the fact that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. 
right? That's, that's that work that God is doing within us. He's working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is with us from the beginning and he'll be with us until the end. But like I said, this isn't the case for everyone. Uh, those who love their sin, who reject God, who are not known by God and do not know God, these are the worthless people, right? The sons of Belial that are described in our passage. Now let's reread verses 23 through 25 and we'll kind of see what's going on with them. It says this, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Harsh right there. Um, now, I think going back to the first couple of verses that we see in this passage here, uh, I think this is one of the clearest examples that we get in Scripture in sparing the rod of discipline. Now, what do I mean by that? The words of Eli were great. I, I don't think any of us would deny the things that he said to his children, to his sons, were good things. He should be telling them these, these things, right? I hear of your, your evil dealings, right? It's been made known to him what they were doing, right? He brings these charges to them. It is not good, right? It's, it's not good what they're doing. He tells them, if you've sinned against man, God will mediate for you. But you've sinned against God, right? Who's going to intercede for you if you've sinned against the Lord, right? So this verbal rebuke that he was given or that he gave them was harsh. It was good. It was it was it was a gut punch, right? I mean, he, he, he didn't pull any punches in what he told them, but there were only words. There was no correction offered with it. It's like having little kids like like we do and just yelling at them. Hey, stop that. You know, you're not you're not offering any correction. Right. It's not they, they need to be spanked. Right. They, they, they need that spanking and be told what they need to do instead of what they're doing. Yelling does no good. This harsh rebuke alone did no good for them. These were priests. They were they held office. They held an office in the court. Right. They were doing things that dishonored that role that they were given, that office that they held. They should have been removed from that. They should have been punished for the things they were doing. And all Eli did was, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, you're sinning against God. Now, like I said, this has been according to our past. This has been going on for a while now. These these men have been doing this. This was a custom among the people. Right. They had been accustomed to being treated this way. Right. That's what we see in the first couple of verses in our passage. It's it's not worded like, oh, this is the custom of the people like this was this normal right practice. This was a custom because they have been habitually uh, doing this poor, these terrible things to the people over and over year after year. They already knew this. OK, when we go up to offer the sacrifice to God, these people are going to come and take this meat that's supposed to be for God. I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to offer and, and plead with them. And, and they're going to take it. They're going to sleep with the women. They're going to do all these things, right? It's, it had become accustomed to them. Uh, but they were, these, were, these were sins that they were committing. But I, as I think about that and what Eli did here, um, you know, because what we'll see later, Eli, it's not like he wasn't a believer. Uh, he, he, he took his punishment, right? He took the discipline that his line would be cut off. He asked uh, Samuel when Samuel was, was spoken to by God, Tell, tell me everything that God tell, tell me everything God said and, and you know, let it happen, you know. Um, but I think it's important for us to see the lack of backbone that he had, the lack of conviction he had with his own children in presenting God's truth and, and standing for God in this moment. Imagine if something like this happened today where me, Pastor Ricky, Pastor David, uh, any of the other men of this church just kind of sat back and let somebody come in and harass our women, harass the children, steal from us, uh, just do all kind of damage within the church and go unchecked. Imagine if, if we just allowed stuff like that to happen and we knew about it, right? There's stuff that's going on with people that we don't know about, uh, but imagine that we did know and we just sat back and you were like, you know what? God has just called us here to love people. I mean, we're just here to love people, okay? so. 
I'm sorry. That, you know, we're not here to see through you. Uh, we're, we're here to see you through. That, that, that's what we're called to. We're just going to love on you and hope that God changes your heart and, and everything's going to work itself out in the end. Right. That, that's that's the attitude. Right. Uh, just that's the attitude that we see here. That would not go over well. Right. There would be a lot of first our wives would be checking us. I think that would be the first step. But then I would think a lot of y'all would be like, hey, what's going on? Like, why is this acceptable to you? Right. That, that's the kind of conversations that should be had. What, what should we be doing? No, there should be not only a, a discussion similar to what Eli had with his sons, but then there should have been a removal from that office. There should have been punishment. There should have been correction offered. There should have been all kind of things done, not just the verbal tongue lashing. And I think that's, that's the thing that, that we're missing. There was no consequences for their sins. Or like I said, once again, going back to being yelled at, like, you know, there's some of us who may have been yelled at when we were kids. And, uh, you know, as those yelling, you know, you get yelled at, uh, eventually it stops working. It goes in one ear and out the other. Right. There's got to be something done. You've you got to get that 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 uh, you've got to touch them. Right. You've got to get their get their attention. Uh, eventually, the, the words don't mean anything. But that's what we see here. Right. That's that's something that I think is important because there are times where the verbal rebuke is valid, right? Matthew 18 talks about that, where if a brother sins against you, you go to him in private, you reveal these things to him, and if they repent, then you've won your brother, right? If not, you bring two others, and, you know, there's, there's processes where wordy, words do help. Um, you know, if, if we are presenting God's word to a sheep, they hear his voice and they'll follow, right? There should be a level of verbal response or verbal um, effectiveness amongst God's people, right? If we're using God's word, not personal preference, there should be uh, a desire for unity, a desire for transparency, a desire to build up amongst God's people. But when you're not God's people, that stuff is like talking to a brick wall. And that's what we see here. This rebuke that Eli was offering them, even though it was, it was right what he said, but there was no um, consequences with it, it, it fell on deaf ears, right? They, they just kind of wrote them off and they continued doing what they were doing. Uh, eventually, we'll see the results of this in chapter four, but, but this, is, this is what happened. They just continued doing what they were doing. And I, I think we see the reason why uh, this happened in verse 25. In verse 25, it says this, <clears throat> but they would not listen to the voice of their father. Why? It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death, right? It, it fell on deaf ears because they didn't have ears to hear. God's desire was to put them to death. His divine decree was to see these men pay for their sins. Now, when we think about the things that they've done and, and how wicked they were, vile, how they treated these people and, you know, potentially them laying with the women at the at the at the uh, at the tents of meeting. This could have been rape, sexual assault. It could have been any of that stuff. It could have been consensual. We don't know. Regardless of that, there was this was heinous acts that were being performed within this temple. Uh, I would lean more towards the the assault side of things. But the, none of these things were good. Right. All these things they were doing were terrible. And so if God is punishing them for this, some of us here would be like, good. That's that's what they get. If you're going to profane the temple of God, desecrate his name, uh, bring fear about and, and, and ruin these people's lives, you're getting exactly what you deserve. Right. Some of us would say that and we'd be like, yeah, you know, we'd clap and say, yeah, this is what they deserve. Others of us here, um, I'm not going to say more compassionate because it's right, um, would be like, man, that's not fair. Like God changed my heart. Why didn't he change their heart? Why? Why? Why is there not a, a changing for these people? Because. I didn't deserve the grace that I was given. Why was I given and not these people? Right. If we're being honest with ourselves, there's going to be people on both sides of this argument. But we have to be fair. We have to be honest. We have to take God's word for what it says. And it says it was the will of God, the will of the Lord to put them to death. So are we going to gloss over this and kind of say, yeah, you know, that's Old Testament times and whatever? No, we see this in the New Testament, too. We see in Acts, I believe it's chapter five. I didn't write this down, but Ananias and Sapphira, they were put to death, too, for, for lying to the Holy Spirit. Right. They gave this offering and they held back some, which it was free for them to give or not give. And they were struck down as well. 
So that's after the cross, right? So we can't say, well, before, after, this is grace, and that was Old Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He's never changed. He's always been the same God. He has always been about his holiness, his namesake. That's, that's, what, that's what he is about. And he brings us along by his mercy and grace into this wonderful glory that he has for us. But I say that to say that there are some, as we read this, there's a natural inclination for us to say that was, that's not fair. I, I wish that he would have saved them. That's, that's unjust of God, right? We, we could be thinking it. We may not verbalize it. But some of us do think that way. And it's, it's natural for us to think that way. Uh, I'm not going to say it's right, but it's natural for us to feel that way because we want to see people saved, right? It's a, it's a, it's a good desire for us to not want to view God as a, not only a loving God, but a just God who pours out his wrath on the wicked. So to that, I think Paul deals with this well in Romans 9, uh, because this is the same type of objection that's brought up when he talks about election. It's the same type of thing. Why is, this, why is God doing this? Why is it his choice, his will to put these people to death, but not these people? Right. That's the same type of discussion that's brought up. And we we just covered this passage in Sunday school just a few weeks ago. But let me read verses 14 through 18. I think this summarizes it well. Like, like I said, Romans 9, 14 through 18. When we think about how God deals with people, some through justice and some through mercy, it says this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he, who, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now these, we have, to remind, we have to remind ourselves, right? These people weren't um, bound by something that they, that they didn't want to do, right? They weren't kicking and screaming, committing these sins. They willfully did all these things. These were apostate uh, priests. That's what they were. They claimed the name of God, and all they did was selfishly take that role that God had given them and, and use it to tarnish his name. These were worthless men. They were sons of Belial, the devil, and they were preying on the weak and ruining lives. This is what they did, right? And they did it willfully. There, they weren't, there was no coercion, none of that. These people willfully did these things. Now, that kind of summarizes where this passage, all the, well, not all the things, but what I wanted to cover today as far as what this passage covers, right? As we looked from verse 12 to verse 26, a lot of this stuff is, is what we, we see here. Now, this sermon is not a sermon if I'm just giving you information, right? If, I'm, if it's, that's a lecture, right? If I'm just telling you, okay, this is what the word says, and this is, you know, these are these types of things. We need to see how God is using this to apply to our lives. What are the things that we can glean from this that we take, we learn more about who he is, his grace through Christ for us, and how we are to go and take this as light into the world. Right. What are the things that we can learn from this? How do we apply it? What's what's the overall point? Right. What are we trying to get across? Well, I think we've seen what faithful service looks like and we've seen what faithless service looks like. We've seen God's mercy towards his own and we've seen God's wrath towards those who are not his own. But where do we go from here? Right. After understanding these things, where, where do we take this? Where do we go? Well, I think the first encouragement that I want to offer to you today if you are in Christ, if you are his, you are his. Nothing changes that, right? Nothing can change that. Nothing can, can separate you from the love of God. And not only that, as we already mentioned about goodness and mercy following us, what we must remember is that if you are his, God will do whatever he has to in order to bring you to your knees, right? To, to remove that sin from your life, he will do whatever it takes in order to break you of that bondage that you find yourself in. But if you are not his, if you find yourself on the other side of this, at some point, 
he will do whatever he has to do to fully give you over to your sins. One or the other, right? Whatever it takes. Some people, you see it, right? We see it, we read it in Romans, well, not today, but you've read it in Romans 1, right? There's this, what they call the grave exchange. Those who are suppressed the truth of God have been given over to their sinful ways. They've uh, denied these natural desires for unnatural desires and just gave into all forms of debauchery and wickedness. That's, that's what God does to those who desire their sins more than him. Right, those who are not his own, he gives them over to it. Is that what you want? You got it. But those who are his, yeah, that's not what you want, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you some time to destroy yourself in order for you to see just how much you actually need me. Now, something that I want to say, and, and I've said this before, but I, I'm guilty of this, and that's why I feel it bears repeating, but as we're listening to this, a lot of times, you know, if, if you're like me, I'll just put it that way. You're like, man, I know somebody who needs to hear this. I, I know the person. I can't wait to share this with them. Um, but as we know, God in his providence saw fit that all of us were here today. Right. We are here to hear this message today. Uh, so don't don't look out. Right. I mean, our eyes look out. Our eyes don't look in. But we are told to take that plank out of our own eye before we look at anybody else's speck. Amen. So let's let's spend some time thinking about that. How does this apply to me? Right. Am I harboring some hidden sin that 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 has been gone going on too long? Am I allowing temptations to slowly pull me back into an old lifestyle that I have no business living? Are there sin habits that I've taken on that I've kind of used as an excuse to, to be okay with because God is going to forgive me, right? Well, where, where do I find myself? We are not to be like the worthless sons of Eli, right? Just living a debaucherous lifestyle like we have a license to sin however we want. We are to repent and believe the gospel. That's what we are called to do. Seek him while he may be found. Forgiveness is available for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, as our music team comes up at this point of our service, we have a time for reflection, a time for repentance, a time to, be, to rejoice in the good things that God has done. Now, what we've seen is that God is with us. He is always with us. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. But if we choose to continue to live a life of sin and live in that sin, as I said before, God will either do whatever it takes to break us of those things or he will do whatever it takes to give you over to them completely. If you are his, don't allow this to be that time that gives you over that way. Recognize the grace that God offers to you freely, but you must humble yourself before him. Let us pray.